London Property, home of Super Prime, where you can find informative, educational and entertaining content covering all aspects of property. Hello and welcome to the London Property Podcast. I'm your host, Farnas Fazaipour, and today we're in conversation with Alicia Patihis, who is a lawyer at Philip Ross Solicitors. Hi, Farnas. Nice to see you. Um, we wanted to tell our listeners uh, the basics of what they need to know um, about buying and selling a home using a solicitor, which is called the conveyancing process. Correct, yes. So um, shall we start with the buyer, as we hope the seller has done it before, <laughs> but let's start with the buyer. And what does the buyer need to know? Uh, I think there's a few essential questions that the um, buyer really needs to think about before they commence the process. One is um, how to buy the property. Uh, they should get tax advice as to what suits them. Is it in their individual names, um, uh, in, a, in a corporate, if that corporate should be UK registered or it should be uh, overseas registered, if it suits them. There's different tax treatments that apply in different scenarios and also dependent on the intention of the buyer. So that's one thing that they should try and figure out as early on in the process as possible. Uh, second of all, uh, financing. How are they going to buy the property? Uh, they've got their finances in place. Do they need to liquidate assets to do that? Do they have dependent sales? Are they taking mortgage finance? They should have a clear plan as to what they're doing and how long that will take because that impacts the progress of the transaction in itself. They should also try and get all the documentation ready as early as possible. The professions become quite regulated. We need um, KYC documentation, so beyond the usual passport and proof of address for each of the proposed purchasers or people gonna give, who are going to give money into the transaction. We need to know about source of wealth, source of funds, and have paperwork to back that up. So um, the earlier on that they deal with this, the better um, uh, in terms of being able to progress the transaction as well. Also planning a survey um, for the property. The lawyer only can advise the client based on what's on the paperwork provided. Uh, we're not qualified to talk about the condition of the property. And of course, we don't visit it. So you need to make sure that you've got the advice there in terms of the condition so that you can address any issues and perhaps renegotiate or pull out, as the case may be, uh, if there are any. So listening to what you're saying, um, this is kind of two-part, really. One part is getting all the information ready before you've actually identified a property, which Correct. is crucial because, you know, a good property will have competition and, and the speed at which you transact yes. can make the difference between whether you get it or you don't get it. So I can understand that part of it. And then the second part comes into um, having other professionals reporting on the condition and, and what have you. So that's that's from a buyer's perspective to come ready to the table. Yes. And in an ideal scenario, and I know this differs when it's a flat or a house, what would the perfect seller have ready? Okay, so the perfect seller... Uh, comes uh, prepared with all the information they have on the property. If they have altered the property, they've got their landlord's consent if it's a leasehold um, because the buyer will request that. 
Um, if they've extended their lease, then or, or they've been served with various notices for uh, enfranchisement by um, with the other leaseholders, or they've been served with notices by the freeholder, then copies of those notices, because we need to disclose them to the buyer. Um, if they know that there's going to be major works at the building um, and it's a leasehold property, then details of those because that expenditure needs to be disclosed and is likely to be a negotiation point. So um, the perfect seller has their information on their property handy and is willing to cooperate in providing responses um, in order to facilitate the transaction. I think uh, one of the key points that both buyers and sellers must understand is that they too have a, a responsibility and a role to play in the smooth progression of a transaction. Uh, they need to cooperate and fulfil their part too. And um, there is is simpler buying houses than than buying flats, obviously, because in a flat you've got to consider the freeholder, the head leaseholder, and so on. Well, yes, uh, you, you've. Uh, Theoretically, yes, uh, you've got one less layer to deal with. Um, there are cases in um, some more uh, complex uh, freehold scenarios where you've got uh, estate management uh, companies and uh, obligations uh, that you need to investigate further in relation to that. But generally speaking, a freehold is much um, simpler to deal with than a leasehold. And there's something that you can't actually do in advance, right? And those are the searches. Can you talk us through those? Yes. As part of the conveyancing process, uh, we conduct um, uh, searches with the local authority, drainage uh, drainage authority, the environmental agency. And uh, these give you uh, more background as to the property itself. Um, Lenders tend to have a six-month time limit on the searches. So you're right, you can't order them too far in advance because by the time the transaction actually goes ahead, they may have expired. And obviously, you need to ensure that the information that you've got is as current and valid as possible. There are solutions to that. Um, If you're only slightly over the period, you could seek to get a, a search validation indemnity policy, which in most cases is acceptable to lenders and should do the trick. Um, but generally speaking, you conduct the searches once you've agreed the the um, purchase and it's not something that the seller can do in advance to help speed along. Okay. And uh, this is something that you only really need if there's a lender involved? I, as a matter of course, will get searches on any transaction. Um, I think it would be negligent not to. Uh, the lenders require it, obviously, and you as a solicitor owe separate obligations to the lender that, than you do to the uh, purchaser themselves. But there will be information on there, or there might be information on there that's not evident from the paperwork you've been supplied with by the seller uh, that is important for the buyer to know. And I suppose the buyer, again, until you know what property you're buying, you can't really get the lending agreed, but you could in principle say, I would want to borrow X. So you can start that process with with a lender so that, again, you come to the table a little bit more readily. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, The the buyer should uh, speak with their financial advisor as soon as possible to get the ball rolling, get an agreement in principle in place, know that they're able to borrow the money that they're seeking to borrow. 
and uh, once the once the deal's agreed, then move the matter forward with their lender. Now, in the US, transactions are handled by agents, and agents are licensed, and they have to renew their license. I think every two years. The last time I checked, but um, here, what role could an agent play to facilitate the sort of easy flow of a transaction? I think the agent plays an important role, more important than they think. Uh, They're not just salesmen who put the deals together. Uh, It's important that they too understand the conveyancing process so that at each stage, at each stage, they can actually facilitate uh, the progression. Um, there's been some agencies that I've actually gone in and spoken with the negotiators and um, explained to them the process um, uh, in order to help them, help me, essentially, uh, when we're working closely together. Uh, if they are aware of how the process works, um, and in particular, uh, in the case of agents who are new to the market, they're not familiar with the ins and out of the general process. That's a good starting point. Understanding terminology, understanding who does what. Um, the more the agent knows, um, the better it is as they their, their role is to facilitate the transaction behind the scenes while the lawyers get on with the legal work and the client sorts out their financing. So um, I do agree there, there is a role for them uh, that's important uh, in, the, in the whole process. In the whole process. Um, now, SDLT has become uh, quite a, a moving target, hasn't it, in recent times? So broadly speaking, the things that you have to take into consideration to, to know how much SDLT you have to pay. So SDLT has been something that has been changing almost annually uh, for the past few years. Uh, the way SDLT uh, was calculated in relation to primary residence and additional properties uh, resulted in there being an additional 3% levy. And um, over time, it has become clear what the uh, Inland Revenue's intention was with that in in particular as regards replacement of your main residence. A lot of people assumed and still assume that if they make their current home a rental property and buy a new home, that they have replaced it and therefore qualify for the lower level. That's incorrect. Replacement in the eyes of the inland revenue is selling. So you have to sell that place in order to qualify for the lower level. The good thing is that Inland Revenue have recognised that you can't necessarily uh, sell at the same time as you're buying. And therefore, they have set up a system where if you sell within a period of time following your new purchase, you can claim a rebate for the uplift and the stamp duty. This year, they added a further level for non-UK residents. So uh, if you are an an offshore resident who's buying property in the UK, or even if it is a UK, an English registered company with beneficial ownership offshore, there will be an additional levy of 2%. So in addition to the 3%, because it's not their main residence, there will be 
uh, 2% levy on that. So it's, it's already become slightly more expensive than what it was before. Um, again, if that person is intending to move residents and, you know, intending to become UK resident, again, there is a clawback um, possibility under the legislation. But yes, SDLT has created a lot of confusion and uh, complication. And also um, for property dealers, perhaps has removed the um, the ability to make a quick buck on uh, residential transactions. Which was probably the reason they did it. Exactly. Because there's a housing shortage and people were taking advantage exactly. of a, a lot of tax incentives for overseas purchases. Well, they've been uh, eliminated again year by year um, with the uh, overseas buyers not finding it as efficient now to use uh, overseas companies to acquire properties if they're going to use the properties for their own purposes. They have ATED, the annual tax on the dwellings, to pay yearly on the property, uh, higher levels of stamp duty. Um, uh, there's capital gains tax, uh, corporation tax uh, uh, implications as well for uh, the overseas residents. And of course, um, inheritance tax implications. So uh, it's almost... Uh, leveled the playing field for residents and non-residents or even gone further to almost um, penalise the the overseas investors, um, which is a shame because uh, especially in central London, it's, it's the overseas investors who keep the market as fluid as it is. Well, I'd like to say that, you know, for the right reasons, they're still encouraged if they come in with a medium long-term view to actually make a difference and to to create housing that actually benefits rather than making a quick buck. Yes, so, that that's that's right. Um, but I think also what you what what's evident is that it's not just the money. The UK is seen as a very stable economy to invest in, and people come and spend their money here for very many different reasons. Uh, if you see over the years. Uh, which um, regions have been flooding through. You have, you know, it, it, you go back and you see, oh, there's political or economical uh, instability in particular regions, which has resulted in an influx of investors into the UK. Um, people want to be here. People want to be in London. People like London. Uh, from a, from a, a leisure and hospitality perspective, the best restaurants in the world are here, which attract uh these um, high net worth tourists, if you like. And whilst they're here, they say, oh, you know, I fancy buying myself a property here. And, you know, the cost is the cost. It's worth it for me. And it's not actually that dissimilar to the rest of the world when you think about the transactional costs that have always existed in other exactly. places. yeah. And the fact that we didn't tax anybody uh, until the beginning of all of this, which is, I think it was in 2013, mm. um, was something that people were abusing a bit. Uh, yes, the, certainly the the overseas investors were taking advantage of it uh, because they could. They were allowed to. They weren't doing anything wrong. Um, the legislation was there to attract the overseas investors until um, it was deemed appropriate to level everything off. Um, so just going back to the conveyancing process, would you say that 
there are things that could be done to make that process. I mean, is is there, you know, some other countries that you look at and you think, oh, if we did it that way here, it'd be so much quicker and so much easier and there wouldn't be so many gazumpings and things, deals not <laughs> actually happening. I mean, I'd heard of one where both parties had to just make a £5,000 commitment and whoever pulled out lost their money. And that was just oh, really? how you make an agreement. Yeah. Well, if you look at Scotland, for example, making an offer, it's binding there. Uh, so you have to follow through with the transaction um, from the point of offer. Whereas here, your offer is subject to contract to allow you sufficient time to do your investigation because the underlying principle here is buyer beware. And the buyer needs to make sure that they've conducted all their searches before they actually commit to the purchase. Uh, it's on them. They have the obligation. Um, as far as other countries are concerned, um, I'm not too familiar with the ins and outs of the conveyancing process there, but um, there are major differences. And I think one of the reasons that the UK property market is so fluid is because also the legal profession is so regulated. Um, there's no, um, the, the solicitors are obliged to uh, look at the source of funds. So you know that the money's going to come in, the money's stakeholder money, it's protected. Um, there's no risk of, you know, transferring titles and the other party not paying you. It's simultaneous. Um, and I think that that all contributes to how, how the property market works here. There is a question that you just made me think about when you said this story. And I actually put an alert on all our managed properties on the land registry because yeah. I had heard recently about this sort of identity fraud yes. that people need to be aware of. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, sure. Well, residential property has always been a playground for fraudsters um, for decades. Uh, it, Given the market is so fluid and moves so quickly, it's very it's uh, considered a very um, easy way for uh, money to be laundered and for uh, frauds to take place. One of the key cases we heard about in the past few years was about seller fraud, where uh, the seller was not the actual registered proprietor of the property. Uh, they changed their name by deed poll got a legitimate UK passport in the name of the registered proprietor. Passport was legitimate and they proceeded to sell the property and they ran off with the proceeds of sale. Uh, so the obligations and the solicitors as a result of that um, have tightened the inquiries you have to make as a purchaser um, are more detailed uh, you need to look at everything on a case-by-case -case basis and see, is the seller being evasive? Because that's, you know, the, they, they're that character. Or is something just not working here? Um, I was at a conference a few years ago with some lenders, and they said that one of the ways that they discovered that something wasn't right was through the evaluation report, actually. Because the valuer said he went to the property and he started ringing on the front door and someone came out and said, oh, we'll come in this way, took him round the back. The, um, the window on the door, the glass was shattered and he, you know, he opened the door and they went through the back. And the valuer noted that in the valuation report is, you know, unusual. Um, 
the person gave them some explanation, but the lender read that and thought, that doesn't sound right. If you own a property, you open the front door and you take someone in it through the front door. You don't go through a broken back door. Um, so I think what, what's happened as a result is that people are becoming more aware um, that fraud is rife in residential property and it's become incumbent on everyone in the process to ensure that they play their role in trying to prevent it as early on as possible before loss is caused uh, to the victims. So agents, I think uh, there's further obligations on uh, ID of sellers and buyers that um, ha that have to be complied with now. Lenders are more um, uh, demanding on their requirements. Solicitors obviously have their obligations too. So working together, it's a way of trying to reduce the circumstances where this can happen. And also the land registry has responded by having these alerts. I think yeah. they're about £20 or something. Yeah, you're, you're allowed to register a restriction on the title, which uh, essentially uh, means that someone can't register a transfer of that property unless they have a certificate from the conveyancer to confirm that the person signing the transfer is the registered proprietor of the property. So again, it puts the onus on the lawyer. And also making sure that your lawyer belongs to the law society will be the first step. Because yeah. when I got subjected to this, we were actually in negotiations on a building and then somebody, a runner, brought it to us at half the price and said, if you do the deal really quickly. And the lawyer was an unknown address in Wembley, yeah. didn't belong to the law society. And, yeah. you know, so we went on from there. But well, that's one of the things that we do as a, a matter of firm po policy. When we get the memo of sale, we check out the solicitor is registered either on the SRA register or if they're a legal executive on the uh, Silex register, just to check that we are dealing with a known quantity. Uh, we we do all sorts of uh, AML and KYC training. Um, we're required to by our regulator to do it, but we do it as a firm anyway uh, to train us on what we should look out for. Are people emailing you from Gmail addresses instead of a a proper firm, uh, when you go onto the website, is that person there? Uh, do they write to you on letterhead? Does that letterhead change throughout the transaction? Is there anything peculiar? Things like that. Um, you're taught to keep your eyes open to more than just the transaction at hand. Now, having this conversation with you um, makes me smile thinking about when the clients say, how long is it going to take? Because <laughs> there's no two transactions oh, that are the same, right? No two so transactions are the same. What would you say to that? I mean, providing everything that we've just discussed is in is in place. Yes. I guess I would it's a very difficult question to answer because there's so many components involved. Uh, whether you're acting for a seller or whether you're acting for a purchaser and to complicate it all, if you're involved in a chain of transactions, you might be ready to proceed but someone further up the chain still hasn't got a search or their funding or the solicitor hasn't managed to get through the paperwork yet and you're waiting for something that's completely outside of your control. Um, generally these days with the number of checks uh, that have to be carried out, the length of time searches are taking to come back, um, the length of time lenders are taking to come back, I'd say you're looking at 
eight to 12 weeks for an exchange with much shorter completion dates than traditionally. Um, Usually you would exchange with a standard of 28 days completion, but now people are completing either simultaneously or within a week or two. It's a much shorter period. It it, It takes a lot longer to get to the exchange. Thereafter, it's quite quick. Um, I don't know whether you remember this, but there was a time where they were trying to introduce sellers packs so that people came to the yes. table ready. The hips. And that didn't, <laughs> yeah. that didn't really stick, did it? No. Uh, well, it, it, one of the reasons is based on what we mentioned before. Information after a certain period of time is out of date. So you might have the information, but it's not current. You still need to ask further questions if it's more than six months old, you to go back and say, well, has anything changed since then? Has anything happened? You know, it, it, the intention was a good one, but in practical terms, given everything else that needs to fall into place to make a transaction happen, um, it just wasn't efficient enough. Well, let's hope that our sellers and our agents who are listening to our podcast are now motivated to make sure that they've got that file ready before they hit the marketing button so that they don't lose the momentum when someone's ready to buy, that they can actually push the process through and avoid the gazamping. Thank you very much for talking to us today. It was really interesting uh, to hear some insight from you. Thank you very much for having me. And I hope our listeners enjoyed that. If you want to be connected with Alicia or any of the other experts in our directory, please do get in touch and we will find you the right solutions. Thanks for listening to the London Property Podcast. Head over to londonproperty.co.uk and subscribe to our newsletter to receive latest updates.